the biggest part of teaching sex ed is not really telling people how to do the thing because honestly, there's not one way to do sex. Everybody likes something different. Different things are gonna feel authentic to different people. So the biggest part of what I do is just smashing the shame. Hell yeah. And, you know, helping people feel like they have permission to try things, to communicate things, to ask for what they want. And so that is so much easier to do, I think, when you add the playful element, when you get people laughing in a classroom, their guard comes down. It's easier to smash shame when you have humor on your side yeah. because trying to take something as serious and and distressing as shame and put more seriousness on it can just be like, oh, this is overwhelming. And that's yeah. a lot of times what people in therapy felt like. At the end, they were like, I need to go home and take a nap. People are fascinated, especially up close. More especially when you get them talking about the things that they love. This is From the Hip, conversations in the service of passion, purpose, and play. I'm Adrienne Gunn. You ready to play? Today on From the Hip, I'm talking with Amory Jane, a sexpert and edutainer. The two of us get around to talking about tea cozies and um, floral arrangements. Ah, we talk about sex. We talk about sex and sexy sex things. I think you're going to like it. I want to tell you some things about me so that you can have more fun Great. today. And then, uh, so some of my background and reason why I decided I loved this idea of doing a video podcast was that I am, I, I get really excited about communication and full expression. So some of my obsessions have been ath athleting in my youth and then being an actress. And I've done this much comedy and a musician and I'm also a hypnotherapist. I'm trained in NLP, which is like massive communication skills to help like me express myself fully and other people. Yeah. I really like, I like deep conversations and eye contact and connection. And I love weird humorous tangents that no one's expecting. I may have a small expectation that we will accidentally solve some sort of world problem just in our 30-ish, 40-ish minute conversation. So Fair. I just want you to know that some, some, like it might be in the back of my head, the kind of expectation that I have. Okay. Uh, also a giver. So if you if you need my, like if you your feet hurt or you need to get up or any of those sorts of things, I want to like make sure that you're feeling good and seen. That awesome. sort of thing. What else? Mm, oh, I'm going to be the best I can at uh, maintaining your time integrity today because we've made an agreement about when you were going to be here and when you were going to get to go. I make you the very that. best I can for that. And... I'm really excited to learn more about you. Good. I hope that's okay. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I I am willing. I like when people ask me questions because it's more about like engaging together instead of me like interviewing you. Sure. And if there's ever anything that you don't really feel like talking about, you, I believe about you that you have your own way of taking care of yourself. But if we need a safe word, like rutabaga, we're like, I'm going to answer that because rutabaga. I'm open to that. What is a rutabaga? <sighs> I think it's a root vegetable. Okay, that's I what I was thinking, but I don't think I've ever seen one. Like with turnips and parsnips? Okay. That's, that, sounds, that sounds right. I think I'm allergic to it. To rutabaga? I think so. I had a, like a, 
a post-nasal reaction. To I can't you. even tell you what a rutabaga looks like or, or what color it is. I think it's like this shape. Like, a, like if you smoosh the size of a grapefruit, but then it's hard. It might be a little like a, like a jicama, but with purple on it. Okay. Also, I could be making that up. Yeah, it sounds, you could tell me anything in a big, that sounds right. Yeah. I was thinking root vegetable, but that's like as far as I got in my brain. Yeah. Otherwise, there's there's nothing up there when I do the Rolodex for rutabaga. Perfect. <laughs> so that was my sort of like elevatory of okay. ish. I don't know. So if that, that kind of elevator. We're not like going over our STI results in our dating life. <laughs> <sighs> I guess that's fair. I guess I thought of it in terms of like what we're doing here. Yeah, it makes it makes more sense that way. Yeah. <laughs> I want to tell you about my sexual history. I mean, you can. You're welcome to. Oh. People do all the time. They yeah. just come up to me and they're like, "You're a sex educator. Let me tell you all about my sex life." Yeah. Do they show you things? Not usually. Sometimes mm -hmm. they ask to show me things. Um, a lot of people will write to me for advice, and sometimes I give it, and sometimes I'm like. Here is where you can pay me because this is actually my job. Yes. Um, but yeah, no. Usually people aren't just like, "Hey, can I can I show you my genitals and give me give me your opinion?" Fortunately, word that would be that happens to doctors a yeah. lot. Yeah, I have some doctors that specialize in like helping people remove hemorrhoids, and I imagine they see more ass than well, not necessarily all people or a lot of people. They just see more ass than maybe a um, podiatrist. Yeah, for sure. I see a lot of ass. Yeah, I thought you might. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, well, I teach an ass class, and I've more recently gotten into using demo bottoms. Um, so not only do I see more ass, but my audiences see more ass as well. Yes. But I think that there's really something there for the visual learners when you can actually have a person to, to demonstrate on. Because otherwise, it's just you're talking and you're trying to do things with fingers and hands. And it just, yeah. some people are like, I don't get, I don't get it until you put a butt right there. Right. And then they're like, mmm, now it all makes sense. Right. Speaking of audiences. Yes. I'm pretty sure that this camera is where an audience member lives if you ever feel inclined to connect with them too. Great. And I was going to say that I, <laughs> I, got to, I got to see one of these bottoms. Yes. Person. Yes, you did. And we might talk about that a little bit later when when Gretchen gets here. Yeah. We can talk about that. But yeah, was it activities? Was that the fun activities? Yeah, yeah, that's my supposedly trademarked word that I haven't actually trademarked. Oh, I'm sorry. Don't steal it. That's activities. We've marked it here at least. We yes. Contracts and dates. Yes. Well, it's it's any activity you can do with an ass. But the, the class I generally teach is called Back That Ass Up Anal Sex 101. Nice. That's the full. But, but when I was teaching the boot camp, that was just kind of a, a portion of the class. It was really hard to fit everything into two hours that we wanted to go over. I'm sorry. I'm having a joke of fitting things in. You did quite well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, There's you're a so many puns available when it comes to, to butt stuff. Totally. That's, I had a, had a great time trying to come up with a name for that class because there were just so many options. Now the cunnilingus class, those are way harder to come up with, you know, like there is just harder to come up with something. Um, I was looking up euphemisms for, for cunnilingus and yeah. one person um, suggested canyon yodeling. <laughs> and I'm like, 
Firstly, I don't think canyon yodeling is well known enough. It's not so universal. Yeah, and secondly, I think if I say I'm offering a class on canyon yodeling, I'm I'm gonna get a real different group of people. They're gonna come with a set of expectations, and when they show up to learn about cunnilingus, they're gonna be shocked. Yeah, that reminds me of a hilarious story. I was in Switzerland as one of the stops of this choral tour when I was 17, it was mm-hmm. before my 18th birthday, and they like. They grabbed together a bunch of instrumentalists and singers from all over high schools in Oregon and slammed us together in a choir and took us to Europe. And Sounds awesome. Two of us were wandering around in this tiny town in Switzerland. I may remember, but I'm not currently remembering the name of it. But in this like world of strange men coming up and accosting young women, this strange man wandered out. Uh, we were just walking down the street. strange man wa- wandered out and like, like beckoned us forward. It's like, hey, hey, follow me, but in maybe French, because Switzerland. And so uh, I felt like she was a polo player, and I was pretty beefy as a like soccer or basketball. I was like, I was like, if something weird happens, we could take him. He's a tiny old man. Uh-huh. So we were just like moseying behind this, like like wandering down some weird path with this old man behind this house. I'm not sure why. And so then he stops there after we're like. I guess we'll follow him. I don't know. And then there's this this beautiful beat. It's just pause. And then he starts yodeling at us. Whoa. Right? (laughs) So it's popular somewhere, this whole yodeling thing. But uh, we didn't quite know what to do. They don't have classes on what happens when a strange old man beckons you behind a house through some sort of, like, garden path and then yodels. Yeah, that's... That's interesting. Maybe. I guess he just really wanted to show off that skill. But yodeling's big in the Alps. I mean, that's... Yeah. I think that's probably where it originated. I, I think the title of your class would have, like, would have worked <laughs> there, but probably it would have been uh, canyon yodeling, but in a different language. It's either French, German, or... Italian. Or... It depends on where you're at in Switzerland, what language you speak, because it's all surrounded. Truly. Yeah. I lived in Germany for a little while as an exchange student. Nice. And I visited Switzerland. It's beautiful there. Did you ever have anybody pull you around a corner and yodel at you? No. um, Nobody pulled me around a corner to yodel, but there definitely was yodeling happening in the high school where I was at the talent show. There there was a talent show at the end of the year, and there were some yodelers. Nice. Were you in it? Was I in the talent show? Yes, but not the yodeling portion. Oh. Yeah. um, I actually... (laughs) <laughs> I actually sang the national anthem oh. for the United States uh-huh. by request because they wanted um, they wanted me to do something for my own culture. And I was like, I don't I don't know what to do. Like <laughs> uh, American culture is so many different things. Yes. And uh, my heritage is German, which is where I'm at right now. Oh, so, right. you know. And they're like, just sing, sing your, uh, sing your national anthem. And I'm like, that's not an easy song to no, sing. No, it's not. Um, was so it I, enjoyable? I don't find it enjoyable to sing. It, you know, it was not bad. I'm a soprano, nice. so I got to hit some of those high notes. That mm. was fun. Um, then a dog came up to me, just like randomly. There was a dog in the school and just came up to me on the stage, and I was like, it's a good sign. <laughs> I love dogs, so. Yeah kind of sticks out in my head. And then the whole talent show ended with everybody in the school singing Hey Jude. And like the entire 
song of Hey Jude. So like 10 minutes of just na, 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 just the whole time. That is amazing. Yeah. I've actually had that moment. Really? Yeah. I go to this guitar camp sometimes uh-huh. and there were two guys that were leading a Beatles jam because that's, it just kept everybody going, oh, no, no. And so we had like three or four generations of people that had gathered over time in the room and then we eventually got to Hey Jude. I, that, that music is really uniting. It is. I think like the Beatles, they definitely unlocked some sort of secret in terms of like tapping into the brain uh, yeah. and, and having people, I don't know. We're not interviewing about the Beatles necessarily. So no, no, no. I welcome wherever it. Wherever it goes. Yeah. I think they did find some sort of, do you think they were in some sort of secret club? They're probably Illuminati. Fair. Yeah. Fair. Or maybe part of the, uh, the Da Vinci code. <laughs> I don't know. I don't follow conspiracies <laughs> very well. That's good. Yeah. Well, it seems like you're busy doing other things. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm a busy person. I, I didn't necessarily like strive to be a busy person because I'm also very low energy and the two don't often match. So I don't know how I do it most of the time. Yeah, do you want to talk briefly to our friend here? Um, like, so I'm, I'm Adrienne Gunn still mm-hmm. and I'm sitting with my friend. Oh yeah, we haven't even introduced me yet. Who is this random person? My name is Amory Jane. I'm a sex educator and sex edutainer, I suppose you yes. could say. Yeah. Uh, I do a podcast, Sex on the Brain with Amory Jane. I host a show called Whoopi, Sex Positive Variety Show, which is a, a live show here in Portland. And I teach workshops all over the place about sex. What else do I do? I do a lot of stuff. I, I, I dabble in the comedy. Yeah, I heard about uh, that. Yeah, I dabble in, in comedy now, stand-up. I just started that a few months ago. And lately I've been busy with making a baby, which is my first baby. Yes, it's a big deal. It's a huge deal, yeah. Um, I mean, it's always a big deal, but I I was infertile for like five years and did not think I could have a kid. So this this feels like a little... A magical creature in there. I was fortunate enough to be at your whoopee show oh, where yeah. you told a story. Is that a true story? That is a true story. It is a beautiful, beautiful story. Did you talk about that in your pregnancy episode? Do people know about this story about how? I did, you know, in my podcast, I definitely was, I was interviewing Madison Young about sex and pregnancy. And so we talked more about her experiences, especially her orgasmic birth, because that was really fascinating. Heck yeah. Um, So I didn't really get to tell my story about getting knocked up. Is it okay? It's a fantastic, beautiful story. I I mean, I know you like actually crafted it into like a thing that takes a while to tell. Yeah, but shorthand. Shorthand, because... Yeah, shorthand... um, well, I had been married for seven or eight years to my previous partner. We were polyamorous, and we started trying to conceive in, like, t- 2013 seriously. Like, you know, diving in, actually trying to make a baby. Um it wasn't working, so we changed our diets to fertility diets. I was like tracking my cervical mucus, t- making taking my temperature every morning, and doing ovulation strips, and 
that wasn't working. Um, I tried taking fertility shots and we were like, we did not have a lot of money. So we were already running out of money really early on. And we decided we would try an IUI, interuterine insemination. That didn't work. Um, it was really heartbreaking. Just like nothing worked. We couldn't afford in vitro fertilization. Um, so it really just put a lot of pressure and kind of resentment and sadness on that marriage. There's a lot of grief because he was like, oh, well, it didn't happen. And I'm like, I haven't still given up on this dream. Um, it was really hard for me. So fast forward to uh, a few years later, we're still kind of trying, but at that point, you know, we're out of money. Um, and I meet my other partner and things are going well there. And uh, eventually my husband and I divorce and I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to embrace my, my life. I've got this, this hot young underwear model partner and I'm going to be child free, teaching sex ed around the country, traveling, just having all these adventures. So I really just embraced finally this identity um, of never being a mother and just having a lot of good kinky sex. And one mm. night last October, we're like, let's do some role playing. Like, yeah, sexy <laughs> role playing. Yeah. And so he wants to do um, like a German beer girl role playing because I already have the outfit. Yeah, yeah. Um, with my little dirndl and all of this. So I'm like, okay, yeah, I put it on. And he's like, all right, now speak to me in German. <laughs> and, you know, I told you I lived in Germany as an exchange student, but that was when I was like 17. I don't remember my German. Um, so I do remember ich bin geil, which means I am horny. And so I say that and he's like, okay, yeah, more. And I'm like, wir oh, in Trauben und Apfelfunkuchen, which is like, I eat grapes and apple pancakes. Uh, <laughs> and he's like, all right, yeah, keep going. And I'm like, du, du hast, du hast mich. And he's like, all right, you're just singing Rammstein at this point. This, you know, like, this is silly. What do you want to do? Because this feels like I'm putting too much pressure on you. Right. And I say, you know, I really want to role play that were trying to get me knocked up because I miss that really intentional sex like the kind that I have with my husband where afterwards you know we put my hips up and and I'm not allowed to move and we put the energy into making a baby and he's like all right that sounds hot let's do it um and I'm like all right but if we're gonna do it we're gonna like be real witchy about it. Like, yeah. let's light this candle. We got one of those magic hour candles with the gem mm. in the bottom and like the glitter on the top. Dang. I don't know if you've ever seen these. Dang. They're like, they're like made, I think, locally by a witch. So totally okay. powerful. Weird. We light this candle and I say some sort of spell I make up about intention and, you know, bringing together uh, our life sources or something. And then we make sweet love. And, um, it was really hot. Like I have an orgasm and he has an orgasm. And afterwards I'm like, okay, now you gotta, you know, put my hips up and we're going to get a soft cup and keep everything in there. And, uh, sure enough, that's, you know, how I fall asleep. Um, but while, while I'm laying there, like I'm really imagining the sperm, like going through my body and meeting my egg and them joining forces and creating life. Like I'm really visualizing it. Yeah. And it turns out it worked. Boom. Like it 
we, after five years of trying everything, like I did a little sex magic and then I got pregnant. And like, I know that's gotta be the night, like that was when I was ovulating and it, it just makes a lot of sense. You know, yeah. there's something really about putting your energy into something. Um, yeah, no, yeah. I loved hearing that story. Yeah, it made me realize like magic is real and then there's just, this feels so important. Not that it wouldn't without the sex magic, but it just is like, ooh, maybe you have some sort of purpose. <laughs> like if, if the world brought you your soul to me at this time. Yeah, one of the things that I thought about when, when I heard that story the first time was that, like, okay, I think people know at this point because of our culture shifting that they're putting intention into things and showing up fully to things is part of the magic. But I have a wondering if part of what also helped that magic work was the play. Mm -hmm. I think that's the element that a lot of people miss. That, like they'll yeah. get their witchy candles and they'll get very like seriously intentional about it. And then they'll invoke and, you know, and do the visualizations if you're sperm doing the thing. But one of the things that was happening there is you were playing together. Yeah. And I don't know. I thought that was Yeah, cool. no, I think there is something to that because, you know, with my ex, like, it, it felt after a while like a business. Like, we were very much like, all right, so this is my most fertile time. Like, make sure you get off work on time for us to meet up. And, like, it kind of lost the playfulness. And since we weren't serious about it when we were doing it this time, that it was a role play that helped us be playful. And yeah, something about taking the stress off of it too. And I hated hearing that. Like, if you're ever infertile, people always say like, don't put stress on yourself. Don't put pressure on yourself. Stress is, is the enemy to fertility. And it's, it was so frustrating because like just hearing that stressed me out Yes, because I'm yes. like, I don't know how to be playful about it. If it's been three and a half years of trying every single month, like you lose the playfulness around it. Um, but damn it. It's, it's totally true yeah. that stress is not just the enemy of fertility, but stress is like the enemy of everything. Like stress can really mess with people's bodies and brains and intentions and all of that. So I think that having the playful vibe about it and taking away the seriousness was a big part of it. Yeah. Can I talk about something that I learned in your class? Absolutely. That Please reminds do. me of stress is that the thing yeah. about the arousal and the gas and brake pedals, mm -hmm. which you probably can explain better. But this idea of like people talk to us about like eliminating stress, but they don't specifically talk about like how, mm -hmm. how to shift your mindset and that sort of thing. And it was one of the things that I thought was beautiful about, I don't know, I think, I think, I can ask you more about how you came to be a sex educator and edutainer and, and what drew you to that because there's this gift that you're giving people of actually telling them how to do the things and ways to go about. Like I'm, I'm having a collision in my head. I was like, oh, I want to ask her, like, how did it feel <laughs> to be a person who teaches people how to do some stuff but then have challenges in your own world? <laughs> That's a question. Or like, how do we talk about how to actually be in a more playful spirit so that we can have stressless engagements with people. There's actually, forgive me, too many questions. Oh, that's great. That I'd love to be talking about. It's better to than just about. sitting there and being like, uh, uh, <laughs> you know. Truth. Um, well, I mean, I can kind of answer both at the same time because they, the answer goes together. Um, I've always been a real goofy person, a really playful person. My whole family is that way. It's the thing that I think really sets us apart 
as a family is we have tremendous amounts of fun when we're together which you know other families have fun but like when we're together we just have a blast and other people are like whoa your family is is a fun family Uh, my mom used to say we put the fun in dysfunctional and so i knew i didn't want a super serious job but I also knew I really wanted to help people. And oftentimes helper jobs are really serious. And so I wanted to be a sex therapist as kind of my compromise. So I went to school to be a therapist and I got my master's degree in counseling. And in my internship, I realized I did not like doing therapy because it was not as playful as I would like it to be. Yeah. Um, I was taking home a lot of stress. I have a really hard time with um, not taking on other people's emotions, like mm-hmm. an empath thing. Mm-hmm. Still haven't really learned how to how to do away with that. Um, right. And I don't know if I want to learn how to do away with it completely, but I knew that it would drain me down and probably kill me very young if I stayed in that field. Uh, so I decided to get into education instead and especially bring playful elements into my education because I don't just stand there and lecture as an educator. Um, you know, I, I include a lot of jokes. I include a lot of demos. I tell stories from my own personal life. I add a lot of, I'm a very transparent person. Mm-hmm. So I, I tell a lot of things about myself because the biggest part of teaching sex ed is not really telling people how to do the thing because honestly, there's not one way to do sex. Everybody likes something different. Different things are going to feel authentic to different people. So the biggest part of what I do is just smashing the shame. Hell yeah. And, you know, helping people feel like they have permission to try things, to communicate things, to ask for what they want. And so that is so much easier to do, I think, when you add the playful element, when you get people laughing in a classroom, their guard comes down. It's easier to smash shame when you have humor on your side yeah. because trying to take something as serious and, and distressing as shame and put more seriousness on it can just be like, oh, this is overwhelming. And that's yeah. a lot of times what people in therapy felt like. At the end, they were like, I need to go home and take a nap. But after my classes, I'd like to think people are like, I want to go home and masturbate. Totally. You know, like totally. I feel empowered or I feel invigorated. There's also, I've invented napsturbation. Napsturbation. Because sometimes I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but uh, sometimes I'm not sure if I need a nap or maybe to exercise, but nap or masturbate. And I don't know which order, but I'm like, well, I could, both things could happen. And so the I experience this constantly. <laughs> I'm like, I think I've probably done this where I like lay in bed and I'm like, I don't know which. We're going to go with masturbation first and then falling asleep with a vibrator in my hand. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. Um, did you know about this? I'm only recently learning more about bodies and emotions because a few years ago I heard that emotions were like good for you and important <laughs> and also bodies instead of like prioritizing the mind. Uh, that shame actually is there's a there's an aspect of our nervous system that shame it's it's much like trauma there's a shame sort of triggering that takes over how your your body responds in those moments so it's like much in the same way that PTSD occurs shame shifts how we experience things I think Brene Brown talks about it Mm -hmm. too where she's recognized parts of her 
like patterns of when shame shows up as your ears get hot and there's something that happens. Did you talk about this too? Did I, have I said this? I'm having a flashback. I think we, we discussed it a little bit on the first day of class when we were talking about shame. Yeah. On the first day of boot camp and how shame is, is stored in the body just the way that trauma is. And a lot of people store shame in the same places where they store trauma. So like the pelvic girdle. Yeah. And that's a really big, a really big place where we store shame. And in our, in our asses, because also like our butts, there's so much stuff about our butts in society where we're shamed about it, you know? Um, So people actually store shame physically in their body. Like, like your, um, Pooping shame from, from yeah, potty training is stored exactly. in the anus. Yeah, and like, you know, all that Freudian stuff that you learn in like Psych 101 about like, you know, the oral fixation stage and the anal stage and all that. Like, Freud is pretty outdated nowadays, but like there is something to that in that, you know, there are parts of our lives that are really, that really focus around certain parts of our body. And if we have traumatizing experiences around those, it can it can like stunt our growth or it can be something where we have a lot of shame that stems from that, that time. Um, So yeah, totally like shame is, and like going back to the infertility thing, I think that the shame of, even though I wasn't intellectually shaming myself for being infertile because I would never do that to someone else, Mm -hmm. there was this little voice, this cultural like whispering voice that was like, if you're a woman, that's what you're supposed to do. Like that is your, especially as a femme, like if you're femme, then you become a mother, then you can get pregnant, then you can give birth. And I was like, shut up, that's not true. You know, like (laughs) fighting with that part of myself or that cultural message and felt a lot of shame around not being able to be fertile. And then also felt a lot of shame around my um, jealousy that would come up. I got really envious of other people and how easy they made it seem. They're like, like I had a friend at the time who was like, oops, I had sex with my boyfriend and he even pulled out, but I got pregnant anyway. And I was like, congratulations. Right. Like I was like, you know, did not feel super good about it and then I felt shame about the jealousy especially as a person who is polyamorous and a sex educator like I really try to overcome jealousy and envy and things like that well and and being able to communicate with yourself and understand Mm -hmm. your own feelings and then communicate with other people like and work with emotions in a different way is one of the ways to to do polyamory well yeah which we might talk about later when discussion gets here but like yeah did you have ways of like embracing your own emotions in that in that point? Uh, I wrote about it. I tried to talk about it fairly publicly. Um, for me, it feels like getting it out of my brain and into the world takes some of the shame away. Because if I just keep holding it in myself and like letting it circle around in my mind, it just kind of swirls around and becomes dark. And so expressing it is like admitting you know, admitting the problem or the admitting the the impulse. And then 
talking to other people about it and having them say, oh, I relate to that yeah. is helpful because I think that's one of the big things that smashes shame as well is when you normalize experiences for people, people who are like, I have so much shame because I watch pornography. And then when like everybody else is like, I watch porn too. You're like, oh, okay. Well then I'm not such a perv after all. Cause like all millions of us can't be pervs, right? right. Yeah. Or maybe we can be, but we're in good company. Perv together. <laughs> exactly. I want to ask you a little more about like the expression because I relate yeah. to that a lot where part of the reason why I picked up a guitar and sang with it because there were songs that needed to come out and that was, okay, here's a path. Mm -hmm. um, so a little bit about how you show up and express this this whoopee show and yeah. your entertaining and the, but also with an like I'm curious about when you decided to be that transparent and open with your actual self in in public entertaining spaces because I find that fascinating. You could probably people can probably find clips of you or things yeah, like that. Yeah, there's a lot of very personal things about me on the internet. Um, I've told a lot of true stories with the mystery box show. You can look those up on YouTube. Um, and Whoopi, we don't record usually and put online okay. because of just the, the privacy of all the performers. But it's, it's tricky trying to remember when I decided to be transparent, but it was a really conscious choice. Uh, and it wasn't how I used to be. I wasn't that way. I was very shy and reserved as a child. Um, I had hardly any friends. I went like three years having my period until I told like my mom and my sisters like, oh yeah, I've been like menstruating for years now. Yeah. And they're like, why didn't you tell us? And I'm like, I don't know. I could deal with it on my own. I didn't feel like I needed to tell anybody. Right. Um, so I've, I was very private, but I think... You know, in college, I cheated on a partner and felt really guilty about it because I've always respected and preferred honesty. And that was something that I did that wasn't honest. And I felt a lot of guilt about it. Mm -hmm. And so when I moved out to Portland 11 or 12 years ago, I was like, you know what? Turning over a new leaf. I'm just going to be honest from here on out. I'm not going to lie to people, even if it brings up some hard feelings, even if it's uncomfortable, because I just hated that feeling of like I was lying to somebody I cared about. Right. And so I met my um, who became my future husband really soon after I moved to Portland. And I was honest with him from the beginning of like wanting an open relationship and all the things I was curious to experiment with when I was coming from the Midwest out to Portland. And so I think that it just was like a, I felt icky about not being truthful and about not being transparent. And so I just went real hard on that and got good results back. Yeah. You know, like people really appreciated the honesty, especially people who had been cheated on or who had had people lied to them and felt betrayed before. It was refreshing. So even though it was hard sometimes to hear like, whoa, that's, you know, that's a lot of information or that's really honest. I think people appreciated it because they at least always knew where I stood. Yeah. Well, and I was thinking about, I think I may have even, I may have, I've only gone to one of the mystery box shows, although I know the, the person who, well, there are two people who run it, yeah? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think you may have been on stage. I don't remember the story that you told, but what I found interesting 
And it reflects something that uh, the woman that wrote Writing Down the Bones talks about, is that the more that you are truthful and specific about your own experience, we think that we should like um, generalize our experiences for it to be universal. But what happens is the more that you're specific about who you are in your specific uh, experience the more that people can relate to it. Mm -hmm. and I had this moment of being in that show thinking it was going to be one particular thing. It's like, oh, it might be kinky and there might be people. But energetically, because everybody was being so vulnerable and truthful on stage, what ended up happening is I felt massively connected to an entire room of 400 people mm -hmm. because I could recognize it didn't matter the the content of the story. It mattered that there was vulnerability happening, connection happening. You could hear someone's triumphs and trials going on and like yeah. oh i get that i might not relate to this specific story about this thing that they did but but when people show up like that it felt like this massive gift and i think that we're beginning to re return to that sort of storytelling group thing because storytelling events are popular yeah. showcasing honesty and authenticity is becoming more essential I mean, I guess we get reality TV would be the first instance of that, but I think it's getting more viscerally real yeah. now. Well, I think like there's more reality being added to reality TV. Like there's new, the, the moth, um, or no, maybe it's not the moth, it's uh, Mortified. Oh. Has a Netflix series now of, you know, the storytelling show, which is basically people reading from their diaries of when they were kids. Oh, wow. Um, so it's super vulnerable and all real life stuff. And so I'm seeing more of, like you said, more storytelling shows and more vulnerability coming to comedy as well. Instead of people just being like, men always do this. Now it's right. like, let me talk about my specific life. Because yeah, vulnerability is very connecting. And vulnerability is something that for so long people have been told was a weakness. And the patriarchy has said like vulnerability is for wimps or you don't want to show too much of your true self. You want that stoic kind of, uh, it's all bullshit though. Yeah. Like vulnerability is, is number one, it's a huge turn on. Yes. Um, but number two, it is, is how we connect to people. You know, you can sit there and talk about the weather with somebody for, for an hour and then walk away and never, like, remember that conversation again. But if someone opens up about who they are or if you open up, then, like, the potential is there for a strong connection, a lifelong friend, a lover, you know? Heck yeah. So I love vulnerability. I'm like, uh, <laughs> I'm just like, ah, yeah, it's, it's my favorite thing, like, any time a person opens up to me, I just feel so honored that they share themselves with me. Yes. Yeah. I love that point. I'm also curious because you could potentially see if Gretchen does arrive over our shoulder. Uh, she did. She, she just did. parked. I just saw her, her station Good wagon. Good times. Yeah. Yay. Should we, should we pause and allow her to wiggle in? Should we continue and then um, I don't know how She sees close. me in the window. We, we gave each other the nod. Um, we could pause for a second. And yeah. Have her we were at vulnerability in the patriarchy. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure she's going to love this conversation. Right? Yeah. Okay. One <laughs> second. Well, that's how that went. <laughs> Thanks for joining us on this episode. Thanks for watching, listening, I don't know, reading, imbibing, however you took this in. Thanks for being here. And if you really enjoyed it, I'd, I'd love it if you would do all of the things. Uh, like, share, I don't know, ring a bell, bang a gong, tell a friend. 
and come back next time. I hope you had as much fun as I had. <laughs>